Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet. Well, Colleen, it's always a blessing and look forward to our time together today. Yeah, and today we're going to be talking about the declining birth rate around the world and then what social policies are being put in place and whether or not they're effective. So it should be a good Good conversation. So let's just jump right into that. What issues have nations been facing in the coming years? I believe in your Spirit and Life article, you mentioned Japan in particular, but right. there's other ones obviously going through this. Exactly. So it's not just you know isolated to one country. So, but but focus right now on the article. I really began with the Prime Minister uh, Kushida's comments of recent when he's looking at the situation in his own country in Japan. And just to put it into perspective, and I made a purpose of bringing my column with me just to highlight the numbers so that it really help our, our listeners to really uh, understand how serious this really is. We, we hear about it. We may even read articles about it. But just the math actually helps us understand something really serious is happening here. So in Japan, so the, the birth rate. So when we look at that birth rate, what we're looking at is the number of children born to a woman in her within her lifetime. And so... We know that replacement, which itself is already a low number, what we mean by that simply is that the average woman would have three children in the sense of uh, of replace meaning herself, her husband, and one, quote, extra. Now, as I'm saying this, I, I always, when I talk about this, I never want to consider that we're talking about a child like a commodity, but, but it sounds that way. But I'm, I want to make sure that I say that because it does bother me sometimes in articulating these subjects that it kind of sounds like we're bartering, you know, for, with things. We're not. We're talking about the beauty of human life and the wonder of human life. But in Japan, it's 1.3 and continuing to go down. So 14 years ago, Japan reached its pinnacle in the sense of its highest number in population, a number that was about 128 million. Now, so a very large number for this country. And even though in the same time, 14 years ago, we still saw the issue of a low birth rate. But now the numbers are unmasking themselves. So what they're projecting, and this is why I brought the paper, so that by the year 2060, so it doesn't seem so far away, all right? And so I'm 57 years old, so if the Lord were to grant me another, you know, 35, 36 years, I could be here to see this reality if it doesn't change. And what that number is, it's being projected at about 87 million. That's a 41 million person drop. It's massive. And so what the prime minister is showing is that what are the consequences of that? So the consequences are very real, social consequences. Mm -hmm. So you have an infrastructure, you have an economic structure, you have a political structure. You have the family structure itself and the support systems. So there are so many things that are, are impacted by this reality. And so what the prime minister is doing is what others have been doing now for the longest time, what we call the demographic bomb, the demographic winter. So uh, I, what should we ought to have maybe a nice chalkboard or a whiteboard in this room uh, to, so I can get up and write. But for our audience, just to visualize a triangle. And a triangle is called the demographic triangle. So when we look at this is when we the consider the, the pinnacle of the triangle, the very point, is where, in a sense, our older population should be. So in a healthy culture, our, the pinnacle, in a sense, of our older population makes up the very point, which means the lower platform, the biggest part of the platform and the, at the bottom, is going to be filled with younger generations. So in a healthy culture, in a healthy country, your younger population obviously is your younger families, your younger working environment, those contributing to the sustainability of your culture, your society, and your infrastructure are taking care of all the things that are necessary. But flip it over 
And now you see the real problem. So, which is something I talk about in the article where you have an aging population and even a mid-range, my age, who are maybe thinking they can retire in maybe 10 years. Well, guess what? They can't. They can't afford to retire. There's no one to take over their business or there are other reasons. So this is a real situation that the prime minister is raising, kind of ringing a bell. Now, the question's going to be, you know, Colleen, I know we're going to talk about it, is what do you do about it? Well, jumping into that, (laughs) actually, um, I want to touch on one point first before we get there, because you were talking how it's affecting the country's economic future. But you also talked about in your article how it's kind of a downward spiral. So can we discuss that slightly before we jump into what we do about it? A death spiral. Okay. So when we think about it is, remember, like in China. So in China, we we know many of us are familiar with, we've been in this movement many years, what we call the one-child policy. Mm -hmm. And we've seen over the last, say, 10 years, a, a shift in different ways of which the Chinese government has addressed this one-child policy, two-child policy. Uh, you know, uh, basically, it's voucher system, and depending on where you are in the social status, depends on how many vouchers you get. Now, again, now we really are speaking of a child as a commodity, mm-hmm. and so. But what happened there? Well, with China the, is in China, not us, right, yeah. right? And what happened in the? It's a mindset that's created, and a mindset that's created is a culture itself within people's mind mm-hmm. that children are bad. The number of children is not something that should be more than one. I'm talking about China here. And so what we see in Japan is something very similar. And that is this mindset creates its own culture, its own way of responding. It it creates a behavioral pattern. And then it sets a direction of which people head. And that's what's happened here. And so... So even with all the incentives of which the prime minister, Kushida, talks about and with other countries like Russia, China, here even in the United States to some degree, where incentives are offered, some pay, some pay is given, tax relief is given, or other initiatives. I mean, in Belarus, I remember when I was there last, the government there was offering a family of five children a farm, house. And within 10 years, they would own it outright. And other incentives, if you had three children, you got yourself a larger apartment. So they're realizing that they need to do something. The problem with it is, is the mindset that's been created, the culture that has been created, where one child is what you focus on, like in China, and you dedicate your life to that one child. And and so when someone says, well, have two, welcome two children or three children, it just goes against the norm. So it just continues to spiral down. So really, that's why at the end of my column, which all of us here in HLI would know, and anyone engaged in the pro-life movement knows that this is a spiritual battle, which again, I know we'll get to shortly. But, but I think it's important to see how a mindset, and I can, I can guarantee, I can't speak for people, but I can say that the government in China, for example, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when all these policies began to be built and entrenched within policies and procedures, they never thought a culture itself would be created, but it did. It created its own culture within a culture. And so, and when you, when you realize that no matter how much incentive they've given, even in China, they've actually closed some of their, their, uh, uh, their uh, population uh, centers, meaning where they're providing abortion, they've shut them down. Why? Because they want people to welcome children. They don't want to do anything to stop it, but it's not making a change. And so just for people to be aware, in the United States and in China, our birth rates are almost the same. 1.65, last time I looked for China, 1.63 in the United States. Wow. We've had a podcast on that, and we talked <laughs> about that. And that's, that should awaken people, because here we don't have those kinds of policies, at least on paper 
and in enforcement, but we do have a culture that's been created here in the States as well. We'll save that for another day. Well, and the reason that we're not seeing those issues here yet is because of immigration, right? Is that part of it too? Because I remember you mentioned in the article that Japan has a more strict immigration policy and that's why they're seeing this, the problems that are being created more obviously. Right, it does, it does. Because here in the United States, we obviously have where we welcome people coming from other nations. And Mm -hmm. even though we may have some some issues that we know all about with regard to some borders and so forth, but we do have in a sense where people can come to the United States to have a better life, to, Mm -hmm. to come for work and to bring their families. And so it does add to our population and those that normally who are coming from other countries, depending on where, Mm-hmm. actually may be more open and welcoming life and have larger families. So that does impact. Japan is, has closed borders mm-hmm. and um, other countries have similar uh, policies and procedures. So it does impact. So, But I think what, what, what the prime minister has done is something that others have been doing. But to have this now come up into the headlines where it's really been picked up, even the Times picked up this story. Actually, he's been talking about this and particularly about China now for a, a number of months. And that in itself is interesting. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's something to be learned here. And, and of course, let me just make a little side point that I talk about in the column. Sadly, they're promoting things that are very immoral, not just mm-hmm. in a sense of saying to a couple, if you welcome a second child, we'll, we'll decrease your taxes. Okay, nothing immoral with that. But to be offering in, virtual, in vitro fertilization and other procedures, uh, these are question, these things that we should not be promoting. So it, it's it's sad to see that this is where they're turning as well, but we should not be surprised. Mm-hmm. Well, and then I think you mentioned this already, but some of the policies that have been enacted are things like offering tax breaks and that as well. Are there any more that, like, what is Japan doing in particular? Do you know what they're doing? So he, he, he mentioned a few things that he would like to put into motion. Okay. So obviously you're going to see where it's going to uh, offer some type of some type of financial incentive. Mm-hmm. This is what we have seen in many other countries. But what I'm saying is that it's not had the impact that some people would think it would have. Okay. And so in other countries like Russia, like in China, in Belarus, and many other places, we haven't seen a radical shift in the number of children being welcomed to, to, to the family. Despite so, the fact that despite these policies the are fact, in, okay, Exactly. Policy so it sounds promising. It may look good on paper, uh, but it's not producing the outcome that, that they had hoped for. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it, again, it's because of this mindset, Colleen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very challenging. And I know it's hard to, for maybe our audience and for myself at times even to kind of think, well, if someone's going to help me, in my wife to be to welcome more children. Let's say I, let's say I have not the Catholic mindset, mm-hmm. but you know that you know there's because uh, welcoming a child can be very uh, very in a sense of uh, require a lot of responsibility. And so, but the government is offering this incentive. You know, if one would think, well, why would they not take that? Why would they not be open to that? I mean, they're going to offer them a bigger place to live. They're going to offer them incentives for lower cost in food and 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 very other incentives. It's just, it's too big of a promise. And I think people, it's in the mind. They've just Mm -hmm. conditioned themselves to be, not to be welcoming, open. And that's where the real challenge lies for us now, is within every culture, Mm -hmm. is how to bring that mindset, the welcoming to life. But we'll talk about that in a few moments. Well, that's what I was about to ask you, actually, was you mentioned it was a spiritual issue before. So can you jump into what the actual deeper issue is and why these social policies won't necessarily help? Well, think for a moment. What is our understanding of marriage? So if we start that with that, that affects how the next reality is. That is childbearing, 
welcoming children. So if we don't understand the beauty and wonder of marriage, and I make a wonderful quote of John Paul II. It's too long to read, you know, in our podcast, but in the article, I use it as, as kind of a leaping, you know, kind of a platform for people to consider. He's, John Paul speaks of the beauty of marriage and the beauty of, ch- of a child and the, the wonder of a child that we've talked about many times here mm-hmm. and, and what a, the wonder that a child brings into the family and brings into our society, into our culture. And to see that wonder, that potential uh, is a very different vision than looking upon a child as a commodity as a burden, as uh, as one that's going to cost me money, that's going to require much more responsibility. But to flip it around and to realize that for a husband and wife to be open to the opportunity of, of a selfless gift, to open themselves to the potential of what this child will do for them and bring to them, teaching them how to love, how to care, how to sacrifice, it actually would make them more free, more more loving, and it just stretches the heart. Pope Benedict XVI said the heart is made to be stretched. In other words, it's made to love. And so that's a different vision, but that's not going to come from economics. It's not going to come from a political policy or procedure or law. That's a spiritual issue. And, and this is why we have to really bring, and that's how I end my column, where we have to pray for our shepherds, our bishops, our priests, those working with young couples, those working with our youth today, to really push a, a different message, a, a Christian vision of marriage, a Christian vision of, of, of welcoming children. And even myself, if, as I know you've noticed, and, and I, know, I hope my audience, in the sense of my those who have been reading my columns for years, I have purposely changed the way I use certain words. And I've done it intentionally. You know, when we speak about nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. When we say that this couple is having another child, having. Mm. I've changed that word to, to really, to welcoming. Why? Because it's, again, trying to change a mindset that having is not like having a car, having a cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really about openness, welcoming, giftedness. Human life is a gift. And so trying to change the mentality, the same way that I would use when speaking about the violence of abortion, violence, crime, mm-hmm. trying to, to push against the narrative that tries to portray abortion as just something normal, something that just we just do. No, it's a crime. Here, flipping the other narrative where a child is looked upon as, you know, that I choose to have or not have. Mm-hmm. Let's change that language. Where I welcome the opportunity. I welcome the potentiality, the beauty, the wonder, all that this child will bring. And that is something that has to happen where we change hearts and minds. If we can successfully do that, Colleen, and if I think what's happened is, you know, we have to look at, there's a generation gap between you and myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I step back in my own youth to my own grandparents' generation you know, I've talked about this before. My father comes from a very large family, you know, and so my mother comes from a large family. Their parents came from large families, especially my dad's dad. You know, he was one of 13 children. And so that was commonplace, depending on what part of the country one was being raised in. But we saw very quickly with the introduction of the contraceptive mentality and especially with the convenience of, of the pill, you know, where contraception became legal and that changed a culture, changed our culture. Mm-hmm. So it radically changed how people approach human sexuality, how people approach marriage, how they approach conjugal love. 
So that's why I talk about this in, in the column, because that's where we're really going to make the inroad. It's not going to come. We Look, I'm, we talked about this in previous column. I'm for the incentives. You know, mm-hmm. we definitely need to look at our tax uh, benefits for our families. We need to look at maternal, uh, um, you know, benefits, uh, you know, maternity leave, paternity leave. We need to look at all of that. I'm all for it. And I've, I've talked about it many times. I'm on board. All right. And we need to look at the cost of things. You know, if the cost of living is so expensive, it's very hard for a family to to welcome another child because they 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 wondering how we're going to survive. How can we feed our family? How can we clothe our family? Am I going to have to work three jobs? And many people do this daily because they're open to life and they're grateful for the children they have, and so they're willing to sacrifice. Well, and I also thought it was interesting what you were pointing out in the article is that because of the way that the like the demographic winter that we're going into, that um with the inverted triangle is all the young people at the bottom of it are having to work so much to be able to support those above it that then they're not having children. And I thought that was an interesting point to bring out is that because of the economic struggles of where we are right now or where countries like Japan are, they're not having more children because of that. That's right. So that's why it's, 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 it's not a one or the other. So Mm -hmm. we definitely want to address the economic issues. Mm -hmm. We want to address all of the the political and climate and, and societal issues that we have within our environment today, mm-hmm. and but at the same time we we have to realize that there is there is a the spiritual issue is the real core issue here, mm-hmm. and and so we also have to realize what, if we say that we're for the family. I mean, here in the United States, you hear this so commonly in social circles, media circles. You know, you hear families come up. We support the family. Well, when you look at what we've done to assault the family. You know, in this country, how we have undermined the value of family life just in the social media, just from the, the, the whole climate of the entertainment industry, making fun of the family, mocking fatherhood, mocking men, mocking women, a false feminism, a false, you know, image of marriage, you know, and then we see on top of that promoting immorality, you know, in, in, in a sense of the promiscuous culture, cohabitating culture, the whole issue of same-sex relationships and, you know, uh, civil unions. All this impacts our understanding of the family. And then when we consider, you know, just look at cities, an example of this. I will use this. I've talked about this before. You look at issues like the Philippines, many other places where, who are, are developing new city structures. What are they doing? They're building uh, apartment buildings that have one uh, one apartment, uh, one one bedroom or two bedrooms, you know, and forcibly, in a sense, creating a culture that we're not interested in large families here, you know. And so, look at our main cities. How do you raise, a, a, you know, a family inside of a city? You can't. It's been done. But how do you, you know, you look at this when these apartments are so small, and you know, and the environment in which children are possibly going to be raised is, and I use the word hostile. It's just, it's hostile to this, this, this family culture. And so we really need to reevaluate. If we say we're for the family, well, let's, let's talk about that. And so it's not so much that the city is to blame. No, right. But the mindset that's created, the, the environment that's created, the climate that's created within those structures does force people to rethink, you know, and say, well, you know, we see the same thing at the end of life, what I'm used here mm-hmm. is I know older couples, you know, who were married, lost their spouse in death, find another person to love and, and maybe want to spend the rest of their journey with. But if they get married, they lose benefits. Mm. So what do they do? If I'm not justifying it, but they move in together. 
And so what's happened here is, which is never justifiable, but what happens is, is the government and through its policies and procedures is working against them. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's penalizing them because they're older in life and they, they, they lost their spouse. They, now they would like to get remarried, but if they do, they lose half of their benefit or they lose a portion of it. And that affects life. It affects, you know, how they, how they, how they survive. So there's so many layers to this, Colleen. Yeah, and I like how you're pointing out that it's a both and. Like you need those policies that are going to encourage families to have children and make it easier for them to be able to raise eight, ten kids. But on the flip side, you can't think that you're going to solve all of these demographic problems just by putting those in place. There's also the other spiritual battle and that cultivation of this idea that you have to be open to life. Exactly. And and, and just connecting all the dots, the way we speak about marriage, the way that we support marital life— the way that we address the family and how do we support the family and then how do we build structures because we live within a society. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're not isolationist. You know, we live within a structure. We live within a community. We live within relationships and we live among each other. And so we want to have those systems that are going to support the, these, these realities and support the family life. I mean, again, stepping back. Not from an alt- altruistic or just kind of this looking back and, you know, and, and, and just kind of reminiscing. But, you know, you look at the structures that were there. Families lived a little closer to each other. We're a very mobile society today. That does have an impact. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but it does have an impact. So when families don't live near each other, so you don't have the support of your, your parents and your grandparents or, or, or your godmother and godfather or, or siblings, you know, they're living in different parts of the, of, of the country now. And so it's very hard, you know, to welcome children when you feel alone and, you know, and you don't have a, you know, your aunt down the street who loves babysitting and, you know, welcome, come over to help you. So we, we have to look at also our understanding of community. Mm-hmm. And, and family values that are, are very important. And I'm seeing more and more couples. I see this here in, in Front Royal, you know, where, where HLI's headquarters is located. So many families are moving here because that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. They're looking to be part of a community. They want to be part of a family. They want to be part of a community that values family, mm-hmm. where neighbors do speak to each other, where neighbors do visit with each other, and, and, and their kids can be raised side by side and yet share values. And then when they go to church, the church is filled with children, and the priest encourages it from the pulpit. Exactly. It's great. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, and, we, and we know that within the United States, we're seeing where these kinds of communities are actually wanting to be built. Mm-hmm. And I've been seeing more and more conversation, and actually more than conversation, I'm seeing some realization mm-hmm. of that vision. And and again, it's because people are saying, this is not working. Mm-hmm. We need something different. And at the end, I think that's the, that's the key, mm-hmm. is like here in Front Royal, you know, if we can take that, and as I've seen in my own travels, mm-hmm. pockets growing in different parts, that does have an influence. It, it's a magnet. It is. It's, it's attractive. It's so attractive. And it's a magnet for all those people that want more support. Exactly. And if I may say, I also have seen more single people moving into these communities. Why? Because they're looking for those values as well. And mm-hmm. and, and, and knowing that other single people are in that community, and this is where they will meet. They'll, and that's why we see around some of our Catholic universities and colleges a very similar culture where mm-hmm. many of the students actually end up marrying each other because they share core values. They share, they share a spiritual depth, and they want to share it with each other. And so this is also going on. This is, again, how we build culture. Mm-hmm. And, we've, and, we go, and we really have a counterculture that's mm-hmm. happening. So I, I really want to say in, in closing is that 
I mean, I commend the prime minister, uh, Kashida, you know, ringing the bell. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge for him and any leader in, uh, in other countries is how to look at the total picture of what we're mm-hmm. talking about, that we do need the, the, the economic incentives. We do need to look at how political environment, what I mean by political environment is how society responds to these various issues of support mm-hmm. that we need. As we've talked about in our, in our podcast, when we look in, in a developing world where there is poor electrification, poor sanitation and uh, uh, poor health care and education and so mm-hmm. forth. Those structures are important to, to, to build so that we support family life mm-hmm. and help them. Same thing over here, you know. So we might already have a very wealthy country, Japan, mm-hmm. United States, uh, and, 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 but we look at the structures that have been created that are working against us, that mm-hmm. are working against those core values. And a demographic winner is upon us. Mm-hmm. It's here. You know, and there's no hiding from it. It's 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 out in the light, and especially when you have people like the uh, or, or groups like the Times coming out with articles, it tells you something. Yeah. People are aware of it, and 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 here in the United States, and I'll close with this: is all we have to do is read local headlines. Mm-hmm. Go to California; it's a prime example. You know, you look at their the 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 the, the amount of population that's decreasing in the state from people moving lower birth rates, et cetera. How do you support the infrastructure that's been created there? How do you support all that has been, you know, that in its prosperous years, in its mm-hmm. booming years, that's no longer as available? How do you sustain that? And we're seeing it already unmask itself. Read the headlines. And so these are tell, telling signs. So I would say my challenge is we need to preach, we need to teach, we need to challenge our leaders in the political sphere. We need to enter into the debate, into the narrative, and not just let those economists and demographers try to answer the question. We want them in the conversation, yes. We need a spiritual element. We need that mindset as well. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Father, for discussing all of this today with me. And to all of our listeners, please remember to like and subscribe if you're listening on YouTube or Rumble and follow and share with your friends if you're listening on our audio platforms and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.